Here we are, July 5th. Y'all are the only Christians in Birmingham. Do you want a cup of coffee or anything? No, I'm good. Okay. I would. Where's my wine? Yeah, forget me. Okay, well, we are recording this, so lots of people will listen, Adam, and... I'll try not to say anything too incriminating. No, that's, that's why people will listen. Please do it. <laughs> Please do it. Controversy so, itself. Yeah. Um, rumor has it Mike and Lauren are here. Dybert? Are they, where are they? Getting coffee? Hey, Mike and Lauren Dybert, uh, missionaries to Nicaragua, now home. There they are. He's the big intimidating guy in the back. And, <laughs> and, and with a lovely, beautiful wife who everyone thinks he kidnapped. So it's kind of neat that, you know, we pray for them every Sunday, and there they are. So, so that's great. Well, good. Well, uh, we have Adam Young with us, and we're going to be talking to Adam about uh, various and sundry things, and um, it'll be a really good conversation. I've actually been looking forward to this. Not that I don't look forward to all of them, but, but I really am looking forward to this one. So let's pray. Uh, Lord Jesus, uh, we pray that you would, by the power of your Holy Spirit, come and speak to us even now that, indeed, uh, we might see you in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so some of y'all know that we have a curacy program here at the church. I wrote a little word uh, for it for the adventurer recently. And the bottom line is that um, seminaries just don't work, uh, especially in our denomination. I know that comes as a shock uh, to you. Uh, and it's not that I expect or anybody ought to expect uh, folks to graduate from seminary and have all the tools in the toolbox they need, but... Um, uh, but we, uh, we've got a real problem in the church when it comes to uh, equipping ministers to engage the culture with the gospel and to articulate the gospel. And so what we've done is really what every church in England does. Um, not well, uh, but they do it. And, and that is that out of seminary you go to a church that has the ability to have multi-clergy staff and the idea is that you learn some best practices. And after a, a period of time, normally two-ish years, a little more, uh, they sort of let you loose and you, you go do your thing. And so we uh, have Stephen McCarthy, who is going to be with us uh, for uh, that uh, two-ish year period. Uh, but then we had uh, a wonderful parishioner step forward and say, hey, I really want to see us get as many as we can. And so Adam Young came along, and although we're only keeping him for a year, because the background that you'll hear, um, uh, it's, it's a really wonderful opportunity uh, to acclimate Adam to uh, Anglican ministry and, and uh, all that goes with that. And so, Adam, tell us about you. Um, I was born in the Midwest, in Ohio, uh, both my parents... Is Ohio were... really the mid... I'm, I'm sorry to stop. I, that's a huge <laughs> question I have. Is it, where, yeah. What is Ohio? Yeah, I mean, I would say it's Midwest. It's kind of, you know, it starts the Midwest. Uh, so is Indiana Midwest? Yes. That would, yes. Is anyone from Iowa? Anybody here from Iowa? Yeah, it might be offensive to people yeah, okay. in Iowa or okay. wherever. But, but yeah, um, and so, so we'll say Northern. How about that? I'm a Northerner by birth. Great Lakes. By the Great Lakes. Guy. Great yeah. Lakes State. That's right. Um, and so uh, we moved down to the Atlanta area when uh, I was young, when I was in third grade. And actually, I graduated from the same high school I discovered as Craig Smalley. That's right. A few years apart, so we just... There's still graffiti with his initials on it. Yeah, oh, yes. There were legends. 
at Dunway High School. Um, and so, so, but I didn't grow up in a Christian church going home. Uh, we did some of the traditional holiday festivities of Christmas Eve and Easter and things like that. But uh, really, we were not into church. Uh, my parents were not teaching us about Jesus or about grace. Um, but it was when I was in high school, uh, at Dunway High School, that there was a Young Life ministry there, which is a it's a worldwide non, um, non -denom or interdenominational uh, Christian ministry teaching young people, students about Jesus, particularly students who don't grow up in families that are going to church. So uh, through Young Life, I became a Christian um, through the ministry and the example set by uh, some adult leaders. And that started me on, on the journey that I'm on. started reading the Bible, uh, became... Uh, really captivated by the story of Jesus and what uh, grace began to liberate me from my own sense of shame and guilt, uh, which I innately had. Um, and um, and so, so when I became a Christian, I went off to college, went to the University of Georgia, um, so I got involved in the Young Life ministry there, and I loved walking alongside young people as they discovered grace and hearing the good news about Jesus. And so it was... Um, late in college that I really sensed a call to um, pastoral ministry. Um, and I didn't know that that would take me um, to the places that it took me, but I ended up going to New Orleans and doing some inner city ministry at Desire Street for three years. This was pre-Katrina, um, which was an amazing time, living and working in the impoverished Ninth Ward. I learned so much from the people uh, that, that we got to walk alongside there. Uh, wonderful ministries were taking place um, there in New Orleans. and um, but, but I sensed a deep uh, need <laughs> for further training. And so I started uh, doing some correspondence seminary work with RTS, which is Reformed Theological Seminary. And I was in the Presbyterian tradition at that time. And that's actually how Beth and I uh, began to really get to know each other. Uh, we took a course together. That's romantic. Yes, yes. <laughs> Theology. We are we are uh, nerds. Um, but I, I think that's for the first time when she went. Oh, he's not just kind of a, you know, a blockhead. He he actually thinks things and desires things. And so I, I think uh, that that was important in our relationship. So we got married there in New Orleans, uh, Louis Armstrong Park. And uh, we went off to seminary at RTS in Orlando, Florida. And we thought, oh, we'll be in seminary for three years, and then we'll leave Orlando. We didn't have necessarily a natural um, affinity for Central Florida. Uh, but when we were there, we obviously developed wonderful relationships. I got involved in ministry in a Presbyterian church there, and then they brought me on staff. And after seminary, uh, they ordained me as an assistant pastor. Um, but then Red Mountain Church came calling, and that's a church here in Birmingham, and that was, um, we felt compelled and drawn by the ministry vision, and uh, so we moved to Birmingham five years ago in 2010, and so that's when I met Andrew, because we got here in a similar time frame, and we've been involved in a pastor cohort here in town, uh, interdenominational, and, um, and so over over five years of ministry here in Birmingham, I think God's really been unearthing some desires in my own heart and 
cultivating things that I didn't know he would be taking me into the Anglican uh, church, but uh, here, here we are. And so that began probably as just seeds here and there um, using, using the Book of Common Prayer and devotional practices, incorporating it into our worship settings, um, and knowing fine Episcopalians like yourself. Oh, thank you. That's yeah. nice. Uh, <clears throat> you know, I mean, when, when I first heard of this, Adam and I went out to lunch, and I heard rumblings from a mutual friend. We have Justin Holcomb, who was a Lenten preacher here uh, last year and works in the Diocese of Central Florida. And, um, and I just didn't know where Adam was, and Adam expressed what he's just expressed. And, and I thought, well, Adam, you might have rocks for brains, uh, but God still calls people to the quarry. Uh, and so, but uh, you, uh, but you knew my, you knew Lauren, my wife. That's right. You knew yes. Lauren, my wife, in college. Y'all led Young Life together. That's right. That right. Yes, University of Georgia. Go dogs. Yeah, yeah go dogs. Yeah. What are you drinking? I'm just kidding. So, so. Okay. Uh, so this, I mean, it's kind of a, a, a. This is not totally unusual, right? Um, but what is it about? Anglicanism that, that drew y'all to, I mean, it's a pretty dramatic step to go from you know, the culture of the Presbyterian Church in America and say, we want to go into the Episcopal Church. Yeah, I, I, think, there, I think there's some people there like, that's wonderful and great. And we felt very supported, um, um, both from people in our own congregation, other friends, and people that know the PCA world really well. Um, I, I think we've gotten some looks as well, like, really? You know, like, um, and, but, you know, I, I started talking to one of my former seminary professors last year, and he had made this switch from being an ordained PCA pastor into uh, being a priest in the Episcopal Church down in the Diocese of Central Florida. So I called him up, and um, I was just trying to discern my own long-term um, ministry uh, trajectory, and thinking about uh, the kinds of conversations that I found myself in, the kinds of um, aspects of ministry that I really enjoy. I really enjoy um, spiritual formation and uh, soul care and walking alongside people and inviting a lot of different voices into meaningful conversations about what it means to be human, about um, God and and the implications of the gospel in our lives. And I really think there's such a rich theological um, tradition in the Anglican um, tradition. And so uh, that's been really compelling. And so this seminary professor that I was talking to, uh, he was really encouraging about his experience and about just the different, um, um, yeah, just the, the, the different culture that exists in other parts of the church. Because in any tradition, we can get very uh, narrow-minded, and we have our blinders up. It's o- we can only see um, certain things, and so recognizing there's there's a breadth of different viewpoints in the Episcopal Church that uh, it's it's much more difficult in a large denomination, I think, to um, to maintain unity uh, without uh, squelching dissenting voices and and, you know the PCA is among a number of denominations that has really rich theological heritage and great things to offer the universal church Um, but but it's 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 rather small and 
um, everybody is mostly in lockstep on a lot of issues. Mm -hmm. And so I think I wanted something that was a little more broad. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that's, that's a good, uh, interesting point because the momentum for the longest time seemed to be rats on a ship leaving the Episcopal Church, right? So in the past 10 years, or the 10, 2003 to 2013, which are the only statistics that we have thus far, although the new ones will be coming out soon enough, while they hold them until the last minute, um, we've lost over 200,000 people in our worship attendance. That's not just sort of like purging the rolls. That's 200,000 people plus that used to be in church that now are not. And, uh, and of course, we've, we've undergone a, a pretty rapid departure of folks who have left the church. And, um, and here you are coming in. And uh, that, that's, I guess we have to blame the Lord. Right? I, mean, for that, I mean, one of the things that is encouraging about seeing you here is that um, a lot of the best and the brightest who may have initially left the Episcopal Church, a lot of those folks are coming, coming back in because they see the mission opportunities. They see um, that the grass is brown everywhere mm -hmm. and uh, that, um, that there really is uh, a call and the opportunity to, I mean, the Advent make a very good example of this, of being able to preach the gospel uh, without hindrance. And, uh, and to be faithful witnesses. Um, so you're coming from a denomination which, which is uh, pretty decided and very conservative in its, in its nature. Um, and then you're coming to a church that's pretty conservative and decided in its nature uh, here at the Advent. But what, do you, would you see that as, as a fulfillment of an ongoing journey that you've had to come into the Episcopal Church? Or would you feel it's more of a departure from where you were? No, no, more of a fulfillment. I mean, there's a lot of continuity. I mean, th this is why this opportunity, Andrew, is such a wonderful bridge to help me come into the Anglican world um, because of Advent's um, rich history and, and current ministry that is very vibrant. And um, so, so there's a lot that's very similar mm -hmm. in that. Um, you, know, you know, there's a lot of... Um, there's a lot of other younger guys um, coming into the Episcopal Church in, in the Central Florida Diocese, for instance, and that's part of what Justin's um, hoping to see is to bring really gospel-centered, uh, faithful pastors into ministry in the Episcopal Church, and, um, and that, that's part of what's been really encouraging to me to know that it, it's not just me. It's not just my former seminary professor. There are others. Um, and so, so yeah, I'm, I'm really excited. But this is just part of a long-term journey, and I know I recognize that it's um, it's it's definitely I'm discovering the differences and the nuances and the cultural um, differences between the PCA and the Episcopal Church. Yeah, a little more frilly, a little more frilly. <laughs> Tell me, you know, it's you were at Red Mountain, and so one of the things that it, that um, that I'd like to hear about is what was your impression of, of Advent before even this got, got started? Like, you, what's the word on the street? What do you say? What would you, what would you say about it? So I really am, I mean, wouldn't you be interested yeah. to know, like someone from, an out, from the outside? Well, of course, at? being friends with Mark and Naomi Gentilette, I mean, we had familiarity because they had made the transition a few years ago from Red Mountain, and so uh, they're starting to think there's a conspiracy over here. No, not really, not at all. Um, no, it, 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 I, I think it has a reputation of being a very um, 
faithful church to the gospel. Um, I mean, your Lenten series is well known throughout the city. Um, and so, um, yeah, I think it has a very good reputation in, in the PCA world. I think there's a lot of affinity. I mean, you've had Bill Boyd and others come Yeah, Kevin Twitt and all those guys. Kevin Twitt, that's right. So... Sinclair Ferguson. Yeah, I mean, one of the things that I feel like what the Lenten, church, the Lenten preaching series does here is that it gives the Advent a much bigger idea of what the church is, right? So in a lot of church politics circles, you start talking about the church, and really that's just shorthand for the Episcopal church. But the church is certainly much, much bigger than that, and, and I feel like our uh, Lenten preaching series puts that on display. And so, I mean, is that kind of what you're getting at when you're talking about being a little bit more comprehensive, that the breadth of, um, of the church is more demonstrative in Anglicanism? Yes, yeah. yes very much so. So you're, you're, you're here for a year, and then we fire you. Sorry, Beth. Sorry, kids. And, um, and let's actually, Beth is the lovely lady back there in the blue dress. There she is. And um, uh, so you're here for a year. Now, this is where it gets kind of screwy, and I didn't know if I was going to talk about this, but I feel like we probably ought to just because everyone's going to have questions. So right now, you are the curate here. You're an ordained Presbyterian minister, but you're going to be going through the ordination process, God willing, in the Diocese of Central Florida, whose bishop has asked the Advent to help transition you into Anglicanism with the permission of the Bishop of Alabama. Does that pretty much yeah. do it? That's it? Yeah, it's yeah. pretty straightforward. Yeah. Got it? Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, but that's, that, that's one of the things is just getting really creative about ministry yeah. and not, um, and I will say this in our Bishop's favor, is that, um, you know, I, I tried to explain how this was all going to work for him, and he just said, okay, I trust you. And uh, I said, famous last words. Uh, but, uh, but that is uh, real. I mean, you sitting here is a real testimony to the witness of the Advent. I mean, it may not be directly, but because of what the Advent does, uh, Adam, Adam is sitting here. And so sometimes if you feel like we're just spinning our wheels, know that we're not. And the, um, this curacy program, the whole idea is that we're going to be sending out missionaries for the gospel uh, year after year after year. And I mean, I kind of hate to say it, but you know, we are skewed, we are looking for a certain demographic to be in the program, young folks, right? I mean, it's very John Piper when he became the senior pastor of Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis. Some of y'all know he's from South Carolina, and uh, big church, and he really got into it with his deacons there, and finally. Uh, they were being really obstinate, not helpful at all, and, and he was, in this case, in the right. And, uh, and he told them, uh, I'm going to out-pray you, I'm going to out-praise you, I'm going to out-worship you, I'm going to out-preach you, and frankly, I'm going to outlive you. Uh, and uh, as, as hard, uh, he, as hard, he was right, uh, but he did. Um, uh, but, but there is a sense in which, you know, having a longer view of, of ministry in the Episcopal Church and, um, and, and understanding that uh, why aren't we stacking the deck, you know what I mean, to really offer what is best about, about Anglicanism uh, in its context. But why wouldn't you 
or maybe you, uh, and if you did consider it, I'd like to hear that, and I, if you feel comfortable saying this, why not go to like the Anglican Church in North America or one of the continuing Anglican bodies? Well, I think there's a couple factors there. I did speak to a guy last fall in depth about that who's in one of those ACNA um, groups. And, you know, I think, who knows, I may one day, I don't know. <laughs> um, but, but I know that it, it, it is really hard to keep a, um, to keep people that sometimes maybe emphasize different things about the gospel or about faith together because we tend to become really sectarian. And, and, you know, I think if, you, if I showed you a chart of the Presbyterian church, like on American uh, ground, like all the Presbyterian churches, you would see, I mean, it just splinters and cracks like a circuit board. You know, I mean, it just there's a lot of division in the Protestant world. You're not unfamiliar with that. And, you know, I don't know all the issues involved with those, um, with the various um, Anglican communing groups, but, you know, I, I think I have a real desire and longing for unity and to be part of something that's trying to do something, frankly, harder mm -hmm. than finding just your friends and people that agree with you on everything. Mm -hmm. And so uh, I think there's something attractive about it right now in a, in a big church sense, because um, I think we are the body of Christ. We are to be salt and light to the world, and I, I do wonder what the world sees with so much disunity. Mm -hmm. in the church that we can't agree on a lot of issues. Right. Well, th this isn't your first rodeo uh, at, at the Advent. But, so tell us, what, what do you like to do in ministry? What gets you fired up in ministry? Uh, I mean, I, I love being with people, meeting with people, hearing their stories, um, being a part of uh, the celebrations and of walking with them through um, difficulties and hardships. Um, I love to preach. I love to uh, look at scripture with people. I love, um, I love the beauty of liturgy, of the formative power of um, weekly and daily reminding ourselves of our need for God's grace. Um, so th th those are some of the things I get really excited about. What do you find hard about ministry? All of it. <laughs> people yeah, sharing their right. stories. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Well, it is, you know, there, there's a burden that comes with that. Um, there's, you know, people are very complex creatures. Uh, there's, huh. yeah, we, we say we want one thing, but we really desire something else. And it's so easy, you disappoint people all over the place. And obviously, if you drive your, if, you, if you're judging how good a job you're doing by how many people like you, you're looking at the wrong thing. You know, being faithful right. often means people are going to be pushed or pulled in directions that they wouldn't naturally go. And, um, and that's the same for me. Gosh, I mean, I, <laughs> I've had my rounds with God over, I can't believe you've done this, or why didn't you give me the thing I wanted? Um, so, so I think we all face disappointment at varying speeds and levels. And uh, that I think when you're, you're not just talking about one person, you're talking about a large group of people and who all have unique stories and creative bents and longings and desires that go in all kinds of directions and so uh, that's mm -hmm. ministry is really hard it is really hard yeah I think we um, we were using you a little bit uh, in the sense that um, I, I've already I've, I've always had a, I've known Greg Brewer the Bishop of Central Florida for gosh 15 years now 
and, um, and knew his son Todd, who is, uh, is now uh, teaching at General Theological Seminary. Talk about a move of God uh, that, that they would hire Todd Brewer, but praise the Lord for that. Um, and Gil, we've got them both sealed up. Is that right? Yeah. So uh, they're, they're going to be coming uh, father-son back-to-back next year for Lent, um, but begin to explore what it looks like uh, to, to do ministry um, and ministry formation um, in the church, looking at Central Florida as a model. I mean, so one of the things Justin Holcomb does and what he's very good at is most of, a lot of the seminarians coming out of Central Florida are going to Reform Theological Seminary in Orlando where they're getting a great biblical basis and a good framework for theology. And then the diocese, because it has so many, honestly, impressive academics in the diocese, like Justin, uh, are supplementing that with, with Anglican studies that they're doing through uh, the diocese. And so it's kind, of, it's kind of getting best of both worlds. And so it was actually after talking to Justin that one of the things that, that uh, we're going to do here is, um, you know, the bishop has a lot of say over where you end up going to seminary. Now, there's a difference between a policy and a canon, um, which bishops don't like to be reminded of. But, um, but that's the fact of the matter. But one of the things that I've encouraged them to do, depending on what seminary they go to, is to do their New Testament studies through like RTS or Samford uh, and, and get that good biblical basis. And you can take all the other stuff, your practical stuff at Suwannee or wherever you're going, but, but let's, let's get the core really nailed down. And, and, and that make, uh, comprehensiveness is actually what we're looking for, someone with some creativity and, and some energy and some learning. Uh, and so we, we have to thank Central Florida for that and um, that we're using you uh, to, to kind of bridge that, uh, that gap and, and work more closely together. I'm going to leave a lot of time for questions. Um, I'm sure that you all have questions for Adam, and if you don't, I can keep talking. What are you going to teach us about predestination? <laughs> You used the word circuit board a few minutes ago. <laughs> Do you think that the church organization or its spiritual life is like a circuit board with all sorts of places that can fail? And how do you fix the failures? I, I hadn't intended that when I said it. I think I was just trying to talk about all the different various ways, but that's a really keen insight. Um, yeah, I mean, ultimately the church cannot fail. It's what Andrew was talking about in his sermon. I mean, th- this is the Lord's thing. This is something God is doing. Um, this wasn't a human idea. Um, gosh, who, who would ever conceive of a church? I mean, that's, um, that's just There are better crazy. clubs to join. Yes, yeah. absolutely. I mean, yeah, you have other voluntary associations. So this is a harder one. And this, this is Christ's idea. This is Christ. He's the head of it. He's, he's in charge. He's leading and guiding us. And even through all of our differences and um, our wrongheadedness and all those things, I mean, this was, you read the New Testament epistles, and it was, it was fractured back in the first century, you know. So, of course, in the 21st century, we're going to find remnants of that still. I guess we're not that interesting. I mean, I will say, I, I wonder, I mean, I think I'm really encouraged, Andrew, by what you're doing here at the Advent with the Curacy program, trying to seed 
gospel-believing ministers yeah. in other churches. I mean, I, I think that's, as we continue to look to Christ, as we continue to seek to be faithful to scriptures, I think God is going to bless his church and bless the ministry. I mean, do, do you feel like you've been influenced at all by the fact that, I mean, it's not, you know, before people could just say, well, the culture has fallen off the deep end, but even now we see the church falling off the deep end in many ways. And so that, that that's almost made it easier to be part of, of a denomination like the Episcopal Church. I would be curious to know of your immediate and extended family uh, relationships, if that's not too personal. Oh, sure. Uh, um, so my wife, Beth, and I, we've been married 12 years, and we have three young children, Isaac, Aiden, and Rosie. Um, Isaac's going into second grade, and then the other two are still pre-K. Uh, we live here in Southside, um, right up the hill from UAB. Uh, so I'm... I, my family's all in Atlanta, so my parents, they're actually, they, they're moving back to Dunwoody, my hometown on the north side of Atlanta, actually, this month. Um, and then my older sister, Stephanie, she and her husband live in Dunwoody, right across the street from the high school that I went to. Um, so she came full circle, and they have three kids about our kids' ages. And then um, I have another younger sister who's a teacher in the Atlanta area. Um, Beth is from Savannah, Georgia, and so she has, uh, her parents live in Savannah, but her brother went on a mission trip to outside of Edinburgh in Scotland, and he met and then married the pastor's daughter <laughs> over the, of a church over there, so he lives in Scotland with his two kids, and so uh, we only get to see them about once a year, which is hard, but they're coming later this month, so we'll get to see them a little bit. So, you know, one of the things you said you didn't grow up in a Christian home. What was your, what was your family's reaction when, when you became a Christian in high school? How did that all play itself out? You know, it was probably more like in college when I started realizing I needed to evangelize everybody. That <laughs> I probably did a lot of disservice to, uh, to, to my conversion. Um, you know, I, I wasn't always kind or wise about how I talked about faith right. and matters of faith and so uh, but I, I mean I think generally it was huh I wonder what this means I think when I chose to go into ministry it was like why would you do that you know mm -hmm. and I think they thought of it at first as like social work you know like, right. you're going to help people you know um, in, a, in a very humanistic way yeah. so do you feel I mean not I mean I can my, my family fits into this mold too in many ways that even though they may have been from the Midwest uh, and they moved to Atlanta that, I mean, it just sort of, um, you know, and it may be, you know, I was talking this morning, uh, uh, you know, about being antagonistic toward faith, but there's a whole lot of indifference to faith, too, that even in, in the Bible Belt, which, I mean, I suppose you can argue Atlanta is, is too metropolitan to be, that it's kind of lost some of that, but nonetheless, still being in the South, I mean, did you find that you'll run into a lot of people who can basically tell you the story, the message, they just don't believe it, or when they start talking about what they think Christianity is, is actually not what Christianity is. Hmm. Yeah, yes, there's, there's a lot of confusion. It's Jesus and or Jesus plus a certain emphasis or something. Um, but I, I think many people in our culture, they, they vaguely know Jesus performed miracles, 
Jesus claimed to be the Son of God. They know some of those basics. It just doesn't have much of a point of contact for a lot of people. Like, and, or so what. Yeah. Um, and feeling a, uh, an intellectual pull towards, I can't see it, observe it, experience it. Um, therefore, it must not be true. So yeah. it's kind of lumped in with fairy tales. Yeah, I had. Um, I know that on a blog you call them a troll, the people who just kind of get on the thing and they say really, ter- just to say mean, terrible things. What do you call it on Facebook when they're your friend? Mm. Not a frenemy. I don't know what they are, but anyway, I had my first experience with that. And in it, uh, this guy I grew up with who was a real jerk when we were growing up, and uh, he's continuing on, uh, but he said, um, he, he said that... Um, he was belittling me, and he said, why don't you just go read your book that was written in the Stone Age? And uh, sort of, I mean, one, it's just so ridiculous. That it's, you know, I just, you know, it wasn't written in the Stone Age. Uh, uh, but but he, he, he doesn't know that. Uh, and I just made, you know, I mean, but that's the, the funny impression. I mean, that, that, so when people say that, even their basis for their argument is just, you're like, you don't even know where to start. You're like, whoa, 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 wait, what? What? Uh, you just have to, and and so it's the importance of of really of relationship and and engaging and uh, and not seeing you know you're a means to an end spiritually. We'll get you in a relationship with Jesus and then I'm I'm all, but actually really caring about the whole person, like wanting them to not walk in darkness. I mean, even if it's the book wasn't written in the Stone Age and that it actually does have something to say to you and for you. Uh, and and that, uh, that, that's, that's actually, I find it difficult to try. That takes a long time sometimes to peel back for folks so that they can finally come to a place. I mean, C.S. Lewis's life being that way, you know, where it, it just, I mean, he started out very antagonistic toward Christianity, but it just took constant conversations with guys like Tolkien and others to come to a place where he said he, it was just he all of a sudden realized, oh, shoot, I'm a Christian. Um, and so I, I feel like, uh, you know, read up on Lewis because I feel like he uh, is, is a pretty good example of what we're dealing with today. Adam, I've got a quick question for you. See if I can form it correctly and quickly. You come from an interesting personal background, uh, a Christmas and Easter kind of church attender in the South, uh, introduced to the gospel through Young Life. Uh, uh, in the PCA church, and now moving into the Anglican Communion, the Episcopal Church. How do you? How do you? What do you? What are your observations about the um, the starting points for sharing the gospel with young professionals, uh, uh, people in their twenties and thirties, with uh, college degrees and graduate degrees? Uh, Tim Keller talks a lot about how uh, the starting point is at a very different point than maybe what it was thirty years ago, forty years ago, when the PCA was formed. So how, what do you see, being of that generation and the different traditions you've come up in, uh, what's the starting point for us as, um, as an Episcopal church? Man, that's, that is an awesome question, and I think a big part of the task for the church today, uh, what Andrew's alluding to, of how um, I, I do think it's you've got to have oftentimes just a relational connection, um, something that is other than my mission and goal is to change your mind on something. You know, people just 
that rubs them wrong and they can smell that out, you know, and uh, nobody wants to be a project or feel like they're part of your agenda. Um, so that, that's part of what makes, I think, evangelism in our culture really hard, but I think it also opens up a lot of opportunities. Because uh, I think people are looking for genuine friendship. People are as lonely as they've ever been, um, despite what we see in social media and um, group gatherings. Uh, uh, so so I, I do think it, it means having real relationships where they can actually see and experience that you're a real person, um, not that you are some car- caricature of what they think of as a Christian, you know, in this uh, goofy way where you're just, hey, what about Jesus? And always trying to talk to him about Jesus um, the, as though that's a bad thing, right? But I think they, they, they want it to be something authentic feeling, like, oh, this is a part of your life. This isn't just you have an agenda to talk about this or to get me to change my mind on it. It's really, it's really tough. It's a major um, challenge facing the church today. Somewhat along those same lines, coming from a rich Presbyterian tradition, what do you feel that you need to bring to us, not necessarily to straighten us out, but just uh, <laughs> the things that we, as a different body of Christ, that this body needs to understand or become more informed about? I mean, Presbyterians have such a strong theology, such a strong um, adherence to the teachings of the Bible. I mean, Presbyterian theologians and pastors have a lot to offer, I think, the church, global, um, in those regards. I mean, I think they're very thoughtful. Um, Probably wouldn't hurt us to read a book every once in a while. I mean, that, that and I, I don't say that jokingly. Um, I mean, one of the things that I do, and now people know it, because uh, they get very self-conscious when I walk into their offices, um, mainly guys not here at the Advent, I start looking at their bookshelf, and, um, and you can tell a lot about somebody when you look at, at their bookshelf. And what I find in the studies of most Episcopal ministers are one set of the new interpreter's commentary that they got from their home church when they were ordained, and then some, you know, a couple church growth books, a couple copies of the parish history, ECW cookbook. I'm not joking. This is what, and just sort of, and I mean, just they're not, they're really not reading uh, anything. And so, I mean, it was interesting. I was saying something one time to someone. I said, well, you know, Bishop Roth. This was a bishop of the church that said this. I said, well, Bishop Ryle said, and I said, well, who's that? I said, J.C. Ryle, the first bishop of Liverpool, who was one of the most commanding figures in 19th century England, and not just in the church, but in society. And uh, he said, well, I'd never heard of him. And I said, well, that explains that. But, but, I mean, there really is this sense of, I mean, we really, I mean, for, for a denomination that's known as being intellectuals and thinking people, I mean, I really wish that, you know, one of the things I long for is being able to engage intellectually and actually having a conversation uh, about things rather than being told, you know, your book's from the Stone Age. But, but I, what you said, to Don's question, I thought was so good um, about, I mean, there is, you know, I told you I shudder anytime somebody says, well, your life is the only Bible some people might read. And I think, well, you'll never be a Christian. Uh, but at the same time, there is something about how the gospel is lived out in the midst of the community. What does the gospel reenactment look like in, in our church? And uh, looking at the early church in Acts, it said that, um, that the Christians provoked others to jealousy 
because they saw how much they loved one another. And, and they wanted that so, they may not have liked the message, but there was something about that that they thought, that's, that's what I want. And even beautiful, wonderful things that the early church did uh, that um, still ticked a lot of people off, and I've talked about this before, but you know, in, um, in the Mediterranean world, especially in Greek and Roman societies, um, infanticide was not an uncommon practice. Um, there was a strong idea of fate and so if a child was born, uh, normally, uh, if it was a girl, and they'd had multiple children, and if it had some sort of birth defect, like even a cleft palate or something like that, they would leave the child out and expose them. And they, this was fine with them because they thought, and this is a widespread practice, uh, they thought, well, someone may, you know, a slaver will come by, and they used to do that. The slavers would pick them up. And, and if they die, that's just what fate had in store for them. Um, you know, it makes you want to take them to Siberia and leave them there without food and clothes and say, well, let's see what happens. Uh, but uh, Christians would go out into the woods and collect these babies and, and raise them uh, as, as their own. And so there's something, you know, those, those beautiful works of mercy that, um, that, that we're not... You know, engaging in that we that we really need to engage in as as a church, not just the Advent, but just as a as a church. And you know, are we are we provoking the world to jealousy? No, I think that's true. And also, I think living genuinely means not just I'm such an example of faithfulness. But <laughs> I, I am awesome. Means, Look at I me. think it means letting those that don't follow Jesus see the cracks. And right. see the warts and the wrinkles, and let them see um, vulnerability is a virtue. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, I, th- I think that actually speaks pretty loudly because if somebody sees an example, they go, "Well, I could never be that good. I could never do that." But if they see, man, this guy struggles and doubts and has fears, right? He's a real human like being. Yeah. You guys have used the word culture a lot today, and you know, one of the things that comes to mind is just how we define our culture, and particularly mm-hmm. what's different about our congregation and other congregations and what might attract you. And just a separate but related question about that that's fresh on my mind is, um, you know, the recent uh, discussions about gay marriage and particularly as a congregation, like what I would tell my child about our congregation's stance towards that and what other conversations we should be having. Yeah, let's talk about predestination. (laughs) Um, Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the thing about it is that, and, and I keep saying this, but engaging culture rather than being over and against it. I mean, we, I mean, the church has really enjoyed a privileged position in the United States and elsewhere in the world, for that matter, of just having some congruency between what the church believed and what society did and at least those norms that were played out. And, and that's just, that's, I don't think that that's been the case in the past several years. It looked like it, but really wasn't uh, the case. And that's actually been a huge ongoing debate. In, in, I mean, we talked about it in seminary, I'm sure you did. Um, about this whole idea of was Constantine making Christianity pretty much, he did, he, someone else did it later, but he pretty much made Christianity the official religion of the Roman Empire. And was that a good thing? Because then all of a sudden they lost their otherness. They became enshrined and established and, and there was, began to be a lot of mixing of, of where the church began and where the state ended and vice versa. So there was a little bit of that. I mean, we're, we're on record here at the advent that we're, we're not supportive of, of the Supreme Court decision. Um, but that, um, 
and, and I guess our feeling on it would be um, that, well, I guess I should say my feeling, is that um, you know, we've always held to the biblical definition of a man and a woman, but I think that the church ought to be challenged to how do we engage Christians who self-identify as gay or lesbian and are seeking to live out a faithful monogamous life with, with a partner. And so the response of the church has normally been either no or we're out of here. Like we're just not even going to touch it with a, with a 10-foot pole. And so what you'll find here at the Advent, I think, is a, is a mixed bag of folks who, who are not of one mind uh, on that issue. But here we are. You know, here we are. And, um, and I think that that's because we relate to one another honestly, as human beings. Like, we see one another where we are, and regardless of what you feel your identity might be, um, you know, gay or lesbian, that, or straight, you know, the same thing, I mean, what wakes one person up in the middle of the night is what wakes up anybody else in the middle of the night, the same struggles, the same, same fears. Um, we had, uh, what's his name, Gil, the guy that was, Wes Hill. Hill, who's a gay man, and was one of our Lenten preachers. And he brought up a very good point about, you know, when we say intimacy in our culture, it automatically is thought of in a sexual sense. And when here he is, a gay man who is saying, I still need intimacy. I need love. I need care. I need relationship. So what are you going to do? Like, I mean, what's the, what's the church's response to that? And now he feels called to live a, a celibate life uh, as a gay man, but it, it's, it's, you know, the church and the world really treating him as other instead of treating him like a human being and trying to really meet those deep and very real needs. So, I mean, when it comes to, to talking to the kids, I mean, that's, that's going to be an uphill battle if you hold a traditional position, but if it's rooted in love and really caring and respecting the dignity of every person, um, you know, that, that's one of the things that I hold up at the Advent is that people say, well, it's impossible for you to believe what you believe and everyone to get along. I'm like, what? I mean, we are. <laughs> we are uh, getting along. We're not shying. I mean, here we are. We're not shying away from the issue. It's real. Um, but the other thing that's really wonderful about the Advent is we don't believe in binding people's consciences. Right? Adam kind of hit on this, that, you know, uh, Luther had a lot to say about this. And we have a high doctrine of the Holy Spirit. Like, we really believe that God's Holy Spirit will move and bring us to the place where, where He wants us to be. And so we don't think that it needs to be about us. I wish you'd asked about predestination. That's it. That's it. All right, y'all. Go in peace to love and serve the Lord. Thanks. <laughs>